isn't it so good to be a part of a church that's alive? I tell you what, we have children's ministry events coming up. We had an awesome time in honoring our graduates. Wasn't it good to be able to thank God for, for not only our graduates, but what He's doing in their life? Isn't that good? I'll ask you again. That's good. I'm going to tell you it's good. I, I tell you, it's, it's good to see what Jesus is doing. As we were watching these uh, uh, graduates and their parents read and their, their uh, senior pictures came on the screen, and I've had an opportunity, as you have, to go to these open houses and see these senior pictures, I tell you, they look good. They look really good. You could tell there was work put into it. There was planning of what outfit we're going to wear. And we were taking pictures with instruments and some pictures standing in a lake. It was awesome. And they looked so good. And it made me think last night about my senior pictures. And I, I pulled them out and looked at them. It was atrocious. I, I mean, it, it, I thought it was awesome at the time. And I began to, to see what was it that I thought would make me look good. I had a red corduroy long sleeve shirt on with a zip front with wide corduroy pants that was really cool and a mullet that would make macgyver proud and and i worked real hard to get that to flip the right way and and what was so in style and what was so rooted in my scalp at one moment has has faded away it has slipped and it's not just styles and not just fashion and not just how we age but the things that we had set our hope and our heart on at one stage in our life at times We can begin to look back and see how it's shifted. But God's word speaks about itself. The the flowers and the grass will wither and fall, but the word of God will stand forever. I like that next line. It says, and the people are like grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God will stand forever. You know, no, no matter what season in life you find yourself in, you can bank on the fact that God's Word, it never goes out of style, it never becomes uh, obsolete, it is a fact, it is a foundation that you can build your life on. So I want to encourage you, take your Bible and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to chew on the Word of God today, and as we had time with our graduates in first service, and it wasn't just sharing a message for the graduates, it's a message for all of us on, on what we could bank our life on, the promises in God's word. I want to share with you today a a message entitled, Wise Living Evil Days. In Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 15, you read silently, I'll read aloud. Let's look at verse 15 through 18 together. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day we've already had in lifting up your name and declaring that in you we have victory to talking about and lifting up the faithfulness that you've had not only to these graduates, not only to us in one season of our life, but from generation upon generation you have proven faithful. And I thank you, Lord, for the stability of your word. And as we think about the passing trends and the passing seasons in life, Lord, I pray that you'll help us see that your word stands forever. And Lord, as we chew on this passage of Scripture, I pray that you would feed us today and you would nurture us, not just for the moment, but feed us in a way, Lord, that will nourish us for a lifetime. In your name I ask these things. Amen and amen. It's a difficult world 
in which we live. In fact, the Bible says these days are evil. I contemplated taking the first few minutes to list all kinds of stats about how evil our world is. But when I started doing research, I got depressed and I quit. I didn't want to do it anymore. I thought, you know, you know what I'm talking about. You watch whatever news outlet you want. You just give it 10 minutes, 20 minutes. You can get really depressed. If you're having too exciting of a day, just turn on the news and it'll bring it back down, down to earth for you. Whatever newspaper you read, there's all kinds from terrorism to sliding morals to financial crisis. There is an evil among us. And friends, it's not new. It can feel new. It can feel overwhelming. But this has been a pattern throughout history. And God's word has been true all the way through it. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. There is a wise life that God is calling you to in the midst of an evil world. Now, if you're going to succeed as a Christian, you have got to understand it's not just going to happen by accident. You don't just wake up one day and just go, I lived pretty wise. Look at that. I had no idea. There, there is not just this on accident, just, just by circumstance, I accidentally lived in wisdom. In fact, the Lord is calling us to have a plan and how we live. We must have a plan to help us live a life worthy of Paul's words here, to first to the church of Ephesus and then to us. Look at verse 15 with me. Let's unpack this passage together. Be very careful then how you live. Be very careful. Be vigilant. Not as unwise, but as wise. See, I think most Christians don't plan to fail. I've not met any Christian who said, you know what? I'm going to intend to blow it. I'm going to live my life in such a way that I definitely will fall away from the Lord. I'm going to live my life in such a way that, that, that I will not be faithful to the calling He's given to me. I've not met anybody like that. But most Christians, while they don't plan to fail, they simply fail to plan for spiritual success. See, it's, it's vulnerability or victory that's opened up to us. Which one will I have? It determines, it's determined by the plan that I have and the follow-through I have to stick with that plan. As I talk to our graduates this morning, many of them are being inundated with this question over and over again. I'm sure they're sick of it. What are your plans? What, what are your plans for college? What are your plans after college? What are your, your plans for your future? And, and they're getting a good stump speech down, and they can rattle off pretty quick. I'll be going to this school. I'll be studying this. <laughs> One of our graduates, I'll let him remain nameless. I love this idea. If I would have thought of it, I would have done it when I was a, a senior. He's telling every person a different plan just to see which one sticks. Just making it up as he goes. Changing the college, changing his major, changing, I love this. But, but the, the answer that you have to what are your plans after high school, that has some value. But I think it would serve us much better to be able to answer the question, what is your plan to live wisely? Well, I don't know if I have a plan for that. Well, what is your plan to live in wisdom? Sometimes when we think about that, there's thoughts that come into our mind. Well, well, who is to say what is wise? And we have ideas that come into our mind. We may not say them out loud, but, but it's this idea of a relativistic truth and what may be true for someone is not true for someone else and, and this, this almost defensiveness of, of who's to say what is wise or this idea that I don't need to, to plan for that. I've got other things I need to plan for. But God's word is clear to us. We are called to live in wisdom in a world that is full of evil. You could say, well, Brady, I don't, I don't look at it like that, of what's wise and what's not wise. In fact, I, I don't think it's as black and white as some people say things are. It's all kind of gray. Everything's mixed together. And so it just depends on how I feel that day. And that's a way to live. You can live that way. 
It's a very real way to live, but I would argue that the Bible says this is not living in wisdom. In fact, if we go to the Bible and, and we look for the Bible to speak about a lot of gray areas, there's times when we feel like the Bible doesn't speak to us in gray areas. In fact, there's a couple of reasons I want us to look at why I believe the Bible does not speak to gray areas as much as some of us would hope it would. See, the Bible is more concerned about how we could be more like Christ rather than how much we can get away with. I, I think of my days as a youth pastor, and, and a question that would be asked of me all the time is, is, how far is too far? How far can I go and be right with God, but still do what it is I want to do? How far is too far physically in a dating relationship? That was a hot topic in student ministry, and it has been for decade upon decade upon decade. How far can I go and still be right with God? That would apply in the context of entertainment. How far can I go in movies, in music, in entertainment, in literature? How far can I go and still technically be okay with God, but but still do what it is that I want to do? How far is too far? How far is too far in my language? I mean, really, Brady, uh, uh, what the Bible says, which words can I not use? Which words should I use? And how far is too far? And the problem with this question, the reason that we struggle with finding biblical help, is the Bible says, wrong question. The Bible is not as concerned about how far you can go before you're in trouble. The Bible is more concerned about how close it can help you get to Jesus. That second thought here, the Bible is more concerned with how we could be used to encourage others to be more like Christ rather than what is technically permissible. Paul gives us the instructions when he says, while all things may be permissible, they may not be beneficial. And he's driving at this point of wise living and how to live a wise life. And so at at some point we have to say, it's, it's not just, is this permissible? Is this allowed for me how to live my life? Is it beneficial? Will it benefit you? Will that action, will that thought, will that deed, will that possession, will it benefit your family? Will it benefit those closest to you? Will it benefit those that you are witnessing to? This life of wisdom is a life that asks some different questions. See, there's a couple problems with this premise of how far is too far and this idea of living as close to the edge as we possibly can. It leads us to some trouble. See, the closer we are to the edge in sin the further we get away from God. So, for example, if this line here represents the the edge of sin, if I go down there, I'm disobedient to God. I'm up here, I'm not disobedient to God. And God's over here, but, but this is the line, this is the line of disobedience. If my life is lived, asking the question, how close can I get to the edge? I've never been afraid on the platform, I'm kind of afraid right now. How close can I get to, to living on the edge? The problem is not only is that a tough question to, to answer, It's actually asking, how far away from God can I live? See, the Word of God, the living and written Word, draws us to Himself. And so the Lord will draw us closer to the Lord. And so the edge of sin is not what I'm looking at. I'm looking at the heart of the Father. So this is the first problem. The closer we get to the edge of sin, the farther we get from God. Next, we see that the closer we are to the edge of sin, the easier it is for Satan to push us over the edge into sin. I, I never intend on going down there. I'm just going to walk up here. I'm sure-footed. I'm skilled. I'm mature. I have it together. I can handle it. I'm not weak. 
The problem is, when I live my life as close to the edge as I possibly can, this is not a life in wisdom. In a world that is full of evil, it will erode your life. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But it makes it easier for the enemy to push you over in places you never, ever, ever intended to go. And so the Bible says, wrong question. Not how far away can you live from God and still technically be okay. How close can I live with the Lord? This is the life of wisdom. This is the life that God calls us to. See, the answer to Christian living in evil days is not just to recognize what is technically okay, technically not okay, but it's asking the question, is this beneficial? Is this wise for me? Andy Stanley, in his book, The Best Question Ever, if you've not read it, it's an excellent book on wisdom. He gives three thoughts on answering this best question ever. And for him, the best question is, what is the wise thing to do? And he suggests in answering this question, each of us need to look at our own unique past. What's the wise thing to do in light of your own unique past? None of us in this room have the exact same past. Some of us have some hurts and habits and hang-ups in our past that would cause us, if we'd say, what's the wise thing for me to do? Making decision on my own unique past would influence what I do and what I don't do, what I say and what I don't say. As I look at my own unique current set of circumstances right here and now, we all don't have the same circumstances right now. We don't have the same relationships right now. We don't have the same resources right now. We don't have the same strengths or weaknesses right now. In light of my unique current circumstances, what is the wise thing to do? And finally, Andy shares with us, in light of your own future hopes and dreams, your dreams and the ones that God has planted in your heart, where is he leading you? What is the wise thing to do in those things? See, be very careful then how you will live. Not as unwise, but as wise. The wise life is one that is a heart set on Jesus. There is a plan. There is a follow-through to that. Let's look at the next verse. Verse 16. Making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. The days are short. The world around us is evil. In these days, this culture we live in, it is far from God. We need to make the most of every opportunity. And some of us, some of our personality types go, that's it. It's biblical evidence. I should do more and schedule more and fill my calendar with more and be more productive. And we love it. But the problem is, you can do more than anybody else around you and still not make the most of every opportunity the way the Lord is thinking of. See, look at this next thought here. Long before seminar leaders and time management gurus, the Apostle Paul tells us to make the most of the time we have. I like the Amplified uh, Bible's paraphrase of this. Buying up every opportunity. Do you actively look to grasp opportunities of the Lord around you? Or are you just trying to cram into your life the things that you have deemed or others have deemed important for you? Look at number four here. Working hard while it is admirable. Working constantly with little to no rest and little to no connection with the Lord. It's corrosive and leads to decay and death. Aren't you encouraged by that? It's a fact. If you're living your life trying to make the most of every opportunity, working yourself, burning the candle at both ends, trying to cram in everything you can, no matter how good it seems, how worthy the task seems, if you have no time for resting in the Lord, no time with connecting in the Lord, you will burn out. 
It will corrode your spirit. It will lead to decay. And eventually you will have spiritual and even possibly physical death as a result of working yourself on your agenda all the way to the max. Some of us, I need to warn you, this next, this next line is not going to be fun. Okay? It's not. But we're going we're to go through it anyway. Some of us need to ask this question. Do I gravitate? It's not on the screen. You're looking for it there. It's not on the screen. This is extra. It's just, it's just coming right out of my mouth. You can look at my mouth. It's coming right here, right here. Is, is busyness something you use to make yourself feel more important? And you would never say it because that's rude. We've grown up and we know not to say this to other people. But, but you, you secretly look at how busy you are and you just kind of feel like, kind of, kind of important, kind of important. Is busyness a source of pride in your life? See, what Paul is sharing here, make the most of every opportunity, is not for us to cram our life full of what we want, but it's the opposite to say, Lord, I want to lay my life open and make the most of every opportunity that you bring. See, it's imperative that we create margins in our lives and in our schedules so we can take advantage of the unplanned opportunities to enjoy God's blessing and to minister to others. What do I mean by that? You can get so full in your day, and you can even plan to have God bless you a little bit today, but are you so chock full in your schedule that if God wanted to give you a surprise blessing, you wouldn't notice it because you're too busy going on to the next thing? What if God gave you that divine appointment that you've been longing for, praying for, brought that person that you could pour into, and they came? Are you so busy you would never see it? Do you stop to live wise, the way Paul says, making the most of every opportunity? Because the world around you is not going to help you. It's evil days. They're not going to lead you to following God. There has to be something else. We can't stretch, buy, or retrieve our time. However, we can strive to make the most of our time to seize the day and to take full advantage of the opportunities that God brings to us. So here's the challenge. Sometime today I challenge you to do this. Take your schedule, whether it's on your phone or if you're old school and you've got it on paper in your calendar. Take it, whatever it is. And physically set it before you on the table or, or somewhere there in front of you. In a moment of prayer, give that to the Lord. Maybe a prayer like this. Lord, I give you my schedule. I want you to take every day, every hour, every minute, and help me live in a way to bring glory to your name. Friend, if we, if we schedule our life that way, there'll be some things we say no to. There'll be some margins that we leave because he doesn't reveal everything to us. He says, just be ready. Just be ready to love on someone. Just be ready to enter into that conversation. Just be ready to receive that blessing that I have for you. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Look at verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish. <laughs> I love that. Sometimes scripture makes me laugh. Now, I don't know. I, if you were the church in Ephesus, that, that, that didn't feel real good. If your mentor is going to say, hey, don't be foolish. I've never met anybody yet who says, I just love being foolish. I set out to be foolish. Now, there's some people we look at, we say, well, okay, you're living that way. But, but I don't know anybody who says, I just love being foolish. But he calls them out and lovingly, but he says, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. It's not so much on their own intellect, but they're saying, if, if you live a life, Paul's saying, if you live a life apart from not only knowing, but following God's will, you will be playing the part of a fool. 
Doesn't matter what college you get into, doesn't matter what grade you get, doesn't matter what job you land, it doesn't matter how perfect your family is, if you are not listening to the will of God and following the will of God, you will be living a life not wise, but unwise, the life of a fool. Well, how do we perceive God's will? Two ways that I want to touch on today. Perceiving God's will, it's the test of God's written word. When you're in need of wisdom and discernment and to make a, a better decision, the first question to ask is, does it square with the teaching of the Bible? David reminds us that God's word is a lamp into our feet, a light into our path. And the book that you hold in your hand, the Bible, or the, the text that you've downloaded on your device, God's word... It is a gift to you. It is an instruction manual on how to do life. And and he has given you everything you need to know right there within his word. Now, most of us here in this room today, probably close to 100%, would say, I believe the Bible to be true. But the latest statistics tell us that of those who are surveyed, who, who they ask, do you believe the Bible to be true, to have authority in your life, to be completely true, 60% of the people surveyed said yes. They believe the Bible to be completely true true and of those 60 percent who said yes i believe the bible here's some of the things that they said 75 percent of those who said i believe the bible to be true 75 percent said that the bible teaches that god helps those who helps themselves that's not in there the bible doesn't teach that at all 65 percent of those who believe the bible said they believe the holy spirit to merely be a symbol of god's presence that's not right either 58% of those who said they believe the Bible to be true all the way through, 58% said they believe that Satan does not really exist. What that tells me, friends, is there's many Christians who believe in the Bible who are living ignorant of what God's Word says. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. To know God's will, I must know God's Word. See, the majority of God's wisdom for your life, it's already contained in His Word. Read it, study it, get His Word into you. Second, the test of God's living Word. Ask the question, does it square with the Jesus of the Bible? I phrase it this way because there's a lot of pictures or thoughts or ideas of Jesus floating around today that's not the Jesus of the Bible, not the real Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And if we're going to have a biblical understanding of Jesus, and we can ask ourselves the question, how does this square with Jesus' life? So let me make it real simple. To know God's will, I must follow Jesus' example. Well, once I know God's will, what about applying God's will? Three quick ways in applying God's will. They're important, and I believe almost in order to help us get to this. Listen to God's voice. I thought you said, Brady, about how to apply God's will. Yeah, you've got to listen. When I read God's will and I see it and it's there, I'm going to listen how he not only gives me the universal will for me, but his specific will for me. I need to be listening to him. I ask you, friend, are you developing a prayer life? Remember, prayer is not just spouting out things to God, listing your wants to God. It's hanging out with God. To know God's will, I've got to hang out with Him daily. One of our graduates, I can't remember who, they shared their commitment was to spend time in the Word every day. It blessed my heart. It's not about you punching a time clock, but it's about practicing the presence of God and listening to His voice. And when I hear Him, it helps me do the second thing, to obey God's Word. How do I apply God's Word in my life? Simply 
obey his word. If I'm reading the Bible, if I'm listening to him to know God's will, I've got to obey what he has already told me in my life. It's not enough just to read it. It's not enough just to listen to it. It's not enough just to teach it or preach it. You have to obey it for yourself. See, Jesus' strongest rebuke was reserved for those who knew God's word backwards and forwards, but they never obeyed God's word themselves. Often people will come to me and they'll say, Brady, I'm struggling in hearing God's will for my life in this area. And not always, not always. But often, what I discover in talking with them, they share with me that there's some other revelation the Lord has showed them that they've not been obedient to yet. And friend, if you've not obeyed what God has already showed you, don't expect Him to show you something else. I didn't want to know what to do with my time. I wanted to know who I'm supposed to marry. I didn't know what I'm supposed to do in the areas of purity. I want to know what job I'm supposed to take. God says, thanks, nice try, but we're going to come back to my agenda. You obey what I tell you, and I will lead you to what's the next important thing. Well, God, that's good, but but did you not see my itinerary? This is what's coming up next. And the Lord says, thank you. That's really nice. Why don't you hand it to me? I will tell you what you need. You obey me. Finally, we are to follow God's people Who is it in your life that's speaking into you? Who is it in your life that you believe is close to Jesus and you're sitting at the feet of Jesus with them? How do I obey God's will? Get around people who are bound and determined to be obedient. So this question of who's discipling you or who are you discipling? Paul puts it this way. He says, hey guys, I'm the chief of all sinners. Make sure you understand, I'm not all that. But you follow me as I follow Christ, Paul says. He says, let's do this together. Who are the people that you're surrounding yourself with that help you live an obedient life, a wise life? This doesn't mean that we don't witness in the world. It doesn't mean that we don't go into the world and shine our light. Of course we do. But who are those you're keeping closest with that are pouring into you? Who is discipling you? Who are you discipling? See, if you are a Christian... If you call yourself a Christian, then you're a disciple of Jesus. If you're a disciple of Jesus, then that is your mission over there. That's the next piece. We are to know, to know God's will. We are to, to follow God's people. To know God's will, I've got to be focused on his mission. I've got to live my life in a way that I will go and make disciples everywhere I possibly can. Well, Brady, that's your job. You're the pastor. No, that's my job because I'm a Christian. Every Christian is a carrier of the Great Commission. How do I live wise in in an evil world? I'm about Jesus' mission, not my own. So when I look back at my senior picture stage in life, and I say, this is what I thought all of it was going to be. This is what I thought NTS was going to be. This is what I thought the first years of ministry were going to be. I can look back and say, God, it's not about what I had planned. It's about what you had planned. I want to be a part of your mission. If you're here today and, and you say, well... That sounds a little bit intense. I just wanted to believe in Jesus. I just wanted to believe in God and go to heaven. Just sitting at the feet of Jesus and discipling things. Hey, hey, friend, it's okay. That's a way to live. You can live that way. But in all the love I can muster, I caution you, I don't know how wise it is. The world we live in, the days we live in are evil. And if you are not intentionally working to get closer to Jesus, striving to be closer to Jesus, sitting at his feet, then you are intentionally going to be led away. You're going to be distracted. And day by day, you'll be drifting away from Christ. 
If you can't answer who's discipling you or who you're discipling, I'd love to talk with you after service. My wife and I are going to hang out up here. We'd love to talk to you about a discipleship relationship and what that could look like. Finally, the last verse, verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. We are to be vigilant. We are to be very careful about what influences you and I live under. I ask you, friend, what is intoxicating you? Drunkenness leads to all kinds of poor decisions. When you're intoxicated with alcohol, you can find yourself doing things that you would never, ever contemplate doing when you were sober. And Paul is saying here, be vigilant about what is intoxicating you. What influence are you living under? Now, this scripture is about more than just alcohol. Sure, it speaks to alcohol, but it's a whole lot more than that. So I ask you, what are you drunk on? Are you drunk on that boyfriend or that girlfriend? Are you drunk on the approval of that boss or that corporation? Are you drunk on your plans to succeed? Are you drunk on your idea of what security looks like financially? Are you drunk on giving your kids the absolute best childhood ever possible? Are you drunk on on getting every ounce of of, of adventure out of life to the point that you don't care what it costs you? You're going to try everything once. I'm going to do everything that would make sense to me. What influence are you living under? For sure, we don't want to be under the the influence of of alcohol in a way where drunkenness leads us to debauchery and things we'd never contemplate doing. But Paul is saying any influence that we are intoxicated with other than the Holy Spirit will lead you astray. See, it's not enough just to empty ourselves of the bad, but we are to be filled. Look at the verse. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. In essence, Paul's saying, don't be drunk with wine. Be drunk with the Spirit. What? Be be, uh, living a life that's under the influence of the Spirit. You find yourself going, I'm not strong enough to do that. I'm not smart enough to do that. I'm not holy enough to do that. But that's the Holy Spirit living in me, leading my life. This is his description of what a life that is built on wisdom looks like. The final thought, and I'll be through. We are to get in the habit of living under this influence of the Spirit. Brother Lawrence puts it this way, practice the presence of the Lord. There were some groups of Jesus lovers who were influential in my life and they asked me the question, Brady, where in your body of believers do we give people the opportunity to, to experiment and maybe even fail? Is this what it means to follow Jesus with all of my heart? Is this what it means to hear God's voice? Are we creating spaces to practice the presence of Jesus together? That's one of the key reasons that we're to be a part of a body of believers. Well, why does it thrill my heart when these graduates say they're making a commitment to go to these churches? Going to a building does nothing. Going to a group of people does nothing. But when you are gathering with people who are like-minded, who are going to live a life of wisdom, who are going to practice the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life, power can happen then we are to take every thought we are to take every emotion every desire and say jesus i want to practice having you speak truth to me in this church as we come to a end tonight this morning (laughs) it feels like tonight i want to ask you to remember your senior and high school years or to think of your upcoming senior in high school years 
of all the plans and dreams and hopes that we hope to have, all the plans and dreams that you had. The grass withers and the flowers fall. It will not always turn out the way that you think. But God's word will last forever. And the promise that he's given to us through Paul today is you and I can either choose or we can live a life that is wise, following his will, or unwise. Well, what's at stake? This world is not neutral. The days are evil. If you are not intentionally doing everything you can to sit at the feet of Jesus, then by default, over time, daily, you will be drifting away from what he wants to do in your life. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. Lord, I ask that you'll take your word. We've tried to do our best today, Jesus, just to chew on your word. And would you plant these seeds, Jesus, in our heart in a way that you can bring about fruit. Lord, if there's anything that I've shared that's been distracting from your word, would you let it fall away quickly from my brothers and sisters' minds? And Lord, would you take your word and allow it to become living and active, sharper than this double-edged sword? Lord, would you allow it to penetrate right to the place that we need? So, Lord, I know in in this room there are people who are praying about making a decision right now. Lord, would you remind them of what it means to live in wisdom? Lord, there are those who are looking at this next chapter of their life with maybe less than stellar optimism. Would you remind them, Jesus, that you have a mission and a purpose for this next stage of their life, and you want to help them live wise, not unwise. Thank you, Jesus for who you are. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are calling us to be. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. As you stand with me, if you don't have plans tonight at 6 o'clock, we're going to be looking at what it means to have authentic relationships. If you've ever felt alone, if you've ever felt like it's hard to find friends, if you've ever dealt with these issues of not really feeling like there's anybody you can journey in life with, you won't want to miss tonight if you look at Romans chapter 12 and David and Jonathan's story. And come back at 6 o'clock. We'd love to have you. God bless you. As you go, live wise because the days are evil.